0: She said, I'm your host, Candace Sampson. It's hard to believe that September is over, but here we are. Thankfully, as we step into October, everything gets wrapped up in a cozy, colorful vibe. It's that sweet spot where we've settled into our post-summer routines and the holiday rush isn't quite on our radar yet. October to me has always represented a little breather in the calendar where we can focus on ourselves a bit more and recharge our batteries. And that's what I'll be helping to facilitate on the show this month, offering up interviews that focus on you being the best you there is on everything from finances to fitness and all the things in between. So let's kick things off with this week's show. Here's what's coming up. Dr. Pam Pometer joins me to reflect on Orange Shirt Day, its 10th official commemoration, and the deeper conversations we need to have about its significance. We talk about the commercialization of the orange shirt and how we should be truly marking this day. Ever gracious and always happy to share, Pam guides us through this essential conversation. Dr. Deborah Siegel is on deck to shed light on thrombosis, a health topic that doesn't get enough attention, but it's crucial. October is thrombosis month, and Dr. Siegel joins me to share the risks of thrombosis and the role of blood thinners in its management. Ever wonder what compels someone to completely shift gears in their career? Then you'll definitely want to stick around to hear Phyllis Taylor's story. Phyllis left a high-flying career behind to venture into our prison system as a volunteer, becoming an inspiration for many people on both sides of the bars. She joins me to share what pushed her to help prisoners find a hopeful future. Change, as we all know, is inevitable, but it's especially true in the business world. Susan O'Dell, a tech industry veteran, has not only adapted to change, but has mastered it. She's here to share insights from her new book, Successful Change, and give us a fresh take on tackling complex problems lastly, we're winding down with some soulful tunes. Alexis Normand, a singer-songwriter, takes us on a musical journey with her new album, Mementos. Drawing from her personal experiences, Alexis's songs are a beautiful reflection of her life's significant moments. So whether you're looking for some serious insights, soulful tunes, or just a dose of inspiration, What She Said has got you covered this week, right here on What She Said. Orange Shirt Day is a day of remembrance and reflection on the impact of residential schools in Canada, and this year is its 10th official commemoration. To discuss its significance, the potential commercialization of the Orange Shirt, and how we should be truly commemorating this day, I'm joined by Dr. Pam Pometer, a Mi'kmaq lawyer, professor, author, and social justice advocate. With her extensive work in Indigenous rights and her dedication to educating the masses about Indigenous issues, she's the perfect voice to guide us through this conversation Welcome back,
1: Pam. Thanks so much.
0: So the story of Phyllis Webstad and her orange shirt is, is heart-wrenching and serves as the foundation for Orange Shirt Day. Can you share with our audience the significance of this story and how it encapsulates the broader experiences of Indigenous children in residential schools?
1: Well, it's really a very personal story about Phyllis's experience about having to go to residential schools, these Indian residential schools, and um, her grandmother giving her this beautiful orange shirt to take with her. And of course, the first thing that often happened in Indian residential schools is they shaved the kids' heads, they stripped them down, um, they washed them, they put them in different clothes, and... She was so heartbroken about losing this orange shirt. And for anyone who wants to know more about this story, especially the kid version, she actually has books that you can buy to read to your kids so your kids can know about this too. But when you think about it, it is, it's literally the experience of most First Nations people who went to residential schools and the same with native Americans and they called them boarding schools in the U S you're talking about hundreds of thousands of kids between the two countries that this happened to where it could be everything from that happening to physical abuse, mental abuse, sexual abuse, torture, medical experimentation, starvation, like you name it. That that happened more often than not. Were there people who that didn't happen to? Yes, but we know that the majority in many schools didn't make it out alive. So you know something's going on with those schools. So her story is kind of like a a family way of un- trying to understand this in a way that kids might understand it as well. So as Orange
0: Shirt Day becomes more and more recognized, there's a, there is a growing concern about the commercialization of the orange shirt. I mean, last year we saw the Hudson Bay Company unbelievably jump in. Um, So what are your thoughts on this? and, And how can we ensure the true essence of the day isn't lost amidst, you know,
1: commercial interests? That is one of the most important questions because we have to remember what is Orange Shirt Day all about? Yes, it's about Phyllis's story, but it's the broader experience of multiple generations of Indigenous kids suffering in those schools many not making it out alive ending up in unmarked graves which we've talked about but also for those that survived the intergenerational like trauma that that was if your grandmother and your mother went and you went and like what does that mean for the kids so you've got multiple overlapping layers and that's what people need to understand this isn't just about um hey in this date on that date this school was there and that school was there and it's all in the past let's move on in fact many of the same policies that went into the residential schools are still happening today and and that's the conversation that people need to have or the trauma and abuse that people experienced and didn't get any help or support for that or what happened to multiple generations of kids we need to be talking about those things. Instead, you have non-Native businesses engaging in the worst kind of cultural appropriation. So not just stealing a design, for example, and they're all over the internet doing that. But for one of the most horrific acts that's ever happened to Indigenous peoples to try to make money off that is really, really gross. And it's, it's, I guess counter to reconciliation. And it just, it's another sign of how non native companies and groups and sometimes individuals, sadly, have consistently exploited native people. Not only our designs and art and all of our accomplishments. But also all of our suffering has become an industry. And so we need to talk about, have that conversation and respond to and support Indigenous people saying, listen, we need intellectual property protection. We need some kind of protection from all of this appropriation and exploitation of our suffering. And, you know, I, I
0: think as this becomes more and more entrenched every year and we celebrate it, you know, non-Indigenous Canadians will throw on their orange shirt and and feel that they've done their part. And honestly, what can we do beyond that? Because there is more to do.
1: Yeah. Oh, my goodness. Yes. Um. I have to say, when this all started out, it was really hard to get the attention of Canadians. But in the last few years on Orange Shirt Day, and I'm driving around different neighborhoods that aren't Indigenous, and I see the flags, Every Child Matters, or people wearing orange shirts just walking around the streets or in schools or at businesses, That's a real sign to me that there's been a societal shift in the sense of being educated. But we do need to take it further. So first of all, if you are going to buy a flag and if you are going to buy a shirt, make sure you buy it from individual Indigenous artists and Indigenous groups. Take the time to, to look at Walmart, if it's Walmart, selling orange shirts and saying, Is this a partnership with Indigenous peoples or is this just exploitation? Like, so that doesn't take very much to do, you know, whether something's authentic or not. And then what kind of action? Commit to some kind of action every year. So what is it going to be this year? Is it going to be a call to federal and provincial governments to search that landfill? Because that's part of it keep in mind that the large numbers of murdered and missing indigenous women and girls came from residential schools came from the 60 scoop forced adoptions came from this foster care system uh, came from over incarceration so all of these things that relate to residential schools that still happen today we need your support so just try not to think of it solely as just the residential school and a memory. Think about the injustice today and what you can do about it. It could be donations to Indigenous women's groups. It could be action on the ground when we say, hey, we want to have a rally, a protest, a march, a vigil. Join us. Like what? Take whatever you are. Like So say if you're in Ontario or Southern Ontario, what are the local First Nations calling for? And support that. And it could be anything. Don't limit yourself to just like the historical issues around residential schools. In my area, Mississaugas at Schoolgog are calling on us to support their calls for Doug Ford to stop destroying the green belt uh, and to protect the wetlands. So we can support that. And so we just need to think about Orange Shirt more broadly in terms of reconciliation. And you're
0: an advocate and educator. What does Orange Shirt Day mean to you?
1: Well, it for me the positive thing is that it means there's a shift that canadians get it i in fact see more canadians wearing orange shirts than i do indigenous peoples and that's what i want to see because we know it you know we don't need to be the one educated.
2: Yeah.
1: yeah 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 and to understand like that that shift is important and we need to celebrate all of our victories especially as canadians because we often get bogged down by horrible politicians and all the dumb fights they have or the far right promoting hate against all groups, including Indigenous groups, or the trolls on social media that just live their lives making horrible comments. And I think we just need to put all of that aside and say, what are we doing as a family, as a community, as a city, as a province, as a country, and focus on that? And where have there been things at work And follow that process and just keep marching along and ignore, like, block and delete all the trolls. (laughs) Like, don't even worry about the far right hate groups trying to get everybody to rise up. Just focus because I worry about Canadians having using up their energy in the wrong way. Because Canadians get really upset when they hear racism against Indigenous women and girls or against uh, families who suffered in residential schools, calling it fake or denying it. And so what they'll do is they'll retweet that or repost that and say, hey, look at this horrible post. Isn't that awful? We should educate him. And then what you've done is you've given that hater All of your followers, all of your friends' followers, now people are going to follow that person and give them an even bigger following. Why do that when we could be lifting up the voices of Indigenous peoples and supporting local calls for action?
0: I I couldn't agree with you more. You use all your energy on trolls. It, yeah. It's it's it, you're tired. You're you're def- defeated and deflated yeah. after you've you've yes. done it. So why even give them oxygen? Uh, Pam, you're always a delight to have on. I can't thank you enough for joining me today. Uh, if people want to connect with you, where should they go?
1: Well, the easiest place is pampalmeter.com because that's where you can get my YouTube videos, educational ones, talking about all these issues, all three of my podcasts. And there's even a podcast for kids where I talk about these issues in a kid-friendly way. I have over 200 publications on these kinds of issues. One-stop shop is the easiest place to go. All right. It's whatever. We'll have you back again soon. Thank you, Pam. Thank you.
0: Care2Know.ca is a free resource where Canadians receive the latest health information, updates on new and existing treatments, and advice from Canadian doctors via email. After enrolling at CareToKnow.ca, you'll receive accurate and reliable information from trusted Canadian medical experts delivered directly to your inbox. Members can also access the website for information on a variety of health-related topics. Through resources like vodcasts, podcasts, and live webinars, Canadian experts discuss how to manage a number of medical conditions and provide the latest knowledge and advice to help you make informed decisions about your family's health with your own health care provider. To sign up and start learning more about the health matters that impact you most, enroll in caretoknow.ca today. Oh October is a month where we shine a light on many health-related issues, and today we're focusing on thrombosis. Thrombosis, or blood clots, is a condition that can lead to severe complications if not addressed. To help us understand more about thrombosis, its risks, and the importance of blood thinners in its management, I'm joined by Dr. Deborah Siegel. Dr. Siegel is an Associate Professor in the Department of Medicine at the University of Ottawa and a scientist in the Clinical Epidemiology Program at the Ottawa Hospital Research Institute. With over 25 years in the field, she's a leading expert on thrombosis and has been instrumental in raising awareness about the condition through her work with Thrombosis Canada. Welcome to What She Said, Dr. Siegel.
3: Thank you. It's a pleasure to be here.
0: So for those who are listening who are unfamiliar, can you quickly explain what thrombosis is and and how you might develop it?
3: Absolutely. So thrombosis simply means blood clot. And thrombosis is actually part of the normal system in your body to stop bleeding for things like trauma or surgery. But sometimes things can go wrong. And then a blood clot can form in a blood vessel in your body, either an artery or a vein. And that can cause problems such as ischemic stroke, where the blood vessel is in the brain, or a pulmonary embolism, which is a blood clot in the lungs, or a deep vein thrombosis, which is a blood clot in the vein of the legs.
0: And you've done a lot of research into this, obviously, and your recent research study surveyed Canadians about their knowledge and attitudes towards uh, blood thinners, anticoagulants. So what prompted this study and what were some of the key findings?
3: Thank you for the opportunity to discuss this. It's, you know, patients who are taking um, anticoagulant medicines, those are commonly referred to as blood thinners, although they don't really thin the blood. We sort of say that uh, colloquially, Um, but One of the important complications of anticoagulant medicines is that they can increase the chances of having bleeding. Now, they don't in themselves cause bleeding to happen, but they can make bleeding worse. And that's because they sort of slow down the blood clotting system in the body. And so we wondered whether or not people were familiar with this as a complication of anticoagulants that can sometimes lead to life-threatening situations. Um, And we wanted to make sure that people were aware of what to look out for and when to seek medical attention. So we conducted a survey of people who are taking anticoagulants for various reasons um, out there uh, across Canada.
0: And and what were some of the findings then that you that you came across?
3: Absolutely. So we found that you know the most uh, most of the patients or participants in the survey were taking anticoagulant medicines for things like atrial fibrillation, which is an abnormal heart rhythm that predisposes to having blood clots go to the brain or stroke, or a a deep vein thrombosis or pulmonary embolism, which are blood clots in the legs or the lungs. Um, And we found that some patients, almost half of patients, actually admitted to missing or skipping doses, which is really important. And we also found that uh, people were concerned about bleeding, but that perhaps bleeding wasn't something that was discussed as regularly as they would like. Um, They wanted to understand more about bleeding complications, how to prevent them, and also how they can be treated if they're serious, like if somebody ends up needing to be uh, in the hospital.
0: And what are the risks then if somebody skips a dose?
3: Well, people take anticoagulant medicines to protect them or prevent another blood clot or treat the blood clot that they currently have. So, you know, it's very common for people to to sometimes miss doses for various reasons, obviously, but we want people to be as protected as possible. So we encourage people to take their medications as prescribed, you know, every day, understanding um, that um, that sometimes that can things can take place in their life that, that interfere with that. Um, so I think it would be very important for people to uh, take their blood thinner at the same time every day as they're prescribed. If they miss a dose, you know, and recognize that really soon afterwards, like within minutes or even an hour or two, that's fine. They can, you know, probably re- take their medication, but um, you know, we don't advise people catching up doses. For example, uh, we would, want to ensure that people are most protected and that means taking the medication as uh, as they're supposed to. I think if people are having problems taking anticoagulants, missing a lot of doses, that's really something that's important to tell their physician. Um, we really want to know um, if there's if there's a way that we can help people take their medication um, more reliably so that they can be you know optimally protected against blood clots.
0: And there seems to be a misconception around anticoagulants causing bleeding. So can you clarify this for people listening and explain the difference between major and non-major? your bleeding while on these medications?
3: Absolutely. So when we we talk to uh, people and we start anticoagulants in the clinic, we often will describe that bleeding as a complication of anticoagulants. Now, fortunately, the vast majority of people don't experience serious bleeding problems, but some do. So about two to four out of 100 patients every year will have what we call a major bleeding problem. So that's something that where they're having a bleed, for example, the most common is from the stomach or bowels. Um, and the Uncommon is bleeding that occurs in the brain, which can actually be really serious. So these are bleeding complications that would, you know, make a person uh, likely to seek medical attention in the emergency department or perhaps need hospitalization. Vast another 10 to 12% of people. Will experience less serious bleeding, but they still may want to go see their family doctor or uh, nurse practitioner, for example, or even go to the emergency department for bleeding problems. And this could be like nosebleeds that won't stop. Um, sometimes uh, other types of bleeding, blood in the urine, that can be alarming to people. And then there's kind of less serious bleeding, so it would be like a, a minor nosebleed, for example, that stops on its own after a couple of minutes, or maybe you know minor hemorrhoidal bleeding um, that may not cause problems, but actually these um, events are still helpful for. For patients to um, communicate to their family physician or nurse practitioner so that they can be monitored over time and make sure that they're taking the dose correctly, that there's nothing changed about their blood tests, that there aren't any other uh, concerns going on.
0: And, and your study also then highlighted uh, a lack of awareness about treatments that can reverse the effects of blood thinners during one of these major bleeding incidents. So
3: can you tell me more about how they work, these reversal agents? Absolutely. So the When people have major bleeding problems, so that would be a bleeding that might bring a person to the emergency room um, or admitted to hospital that were more serious or life-threatening even – sometimes we have the opportunity to soak to what we call reverse the anticoagulant effect. So that means that, you know, remove the effect of the anticoagulant from the bloodstream quickly in order to help the pe- people stop bleeding and to, you know, in- ensure that they have a good outcome. Um, so it depends on the type of medication or anticoagulant that a person is receiving. There are different reversal agents. For example, for warfarin, we do have uh, separate reversal agents. That's, a, of course, um, a type of uh, anticoagulant medicine that people are familiar with needs blood testing um, you know to monitor the levels uh, we also have other anticoagulant medicines called the direct oral anticoagulants and there, there are treatments available for example um, that can you know rapidly reverse the anticoagulant effect in the bloodstream in the event of you know a serious or, or life-threatening bleeding problem um, sometimes we also give medications that don't reverse the anticoagulant effect so they don't act as like an antidote but they may help your body stop bleeding um, by, by giving additional coagulation factors in the blood um, to help a person stop bleeding. Well,
0: October is thrombosis month and World Thrombosis Day. And I'm sure people listening right now are just their heads are swimming with information because this is a lot. I had no idea uh, about any of this. So what initiatives or events can people expect from Thrombosis Canada to raise more awareness about this condition in the month of October?
3: Thanks so much. You know, we are also very keen to raise awareness and spread the word about thrombosis. Um, And and through Thrombosis Canada, uh, there are webinars taking place that are free for people to sign up for. We also have tons of resources on our website, so please go check that out, thrombosiscanada.ca. And then finally, we're actually going to be um, lighting up the uh, signs in cities across Canada in the Thrombosis World Thrombosis Day Colors, red, white, and blue, uh, to raise awareness. But uh, please, um, if people have questions you know, uh, check out our website, thermosiscanada.ca, talk to your uh, primary care physician or nurse practitioner, um, and, uh, you know, make sure that you're aware of these complications.
0: Well, actually, that kind of leads me to my last question for you. You know, if somebody's listening and they are actually are on blood thinners or know somebody who is, what advice would you give them to ensure they're managing this condition safely and effectively?
3: really important that people have regular follow-up uh, with their prescriber. So either, you know, nurse practitioner, for example, or a primary care physician, just to make sure that, you know, things are in regular follow-up, make sure that things are going okay. It's always really important to update your um, physician or nurse practitioner about new medical problems that come up over time. They may not always be aware. It's also really important uh, to let them know about any new medications that other doctors will prov- have, have prescribed. And I always tell people, to, you know, find a pharmacist who can manage all of the medications. It's helpful to go to one pharmacy so that that pharmacist knows everything a person is taking. And that includes things like naturopathic products or herbal medications that sometimes can interfere with how anticoagulants work and can increase the chances of having bleeding problems.
0: All right. Excellent. Um, and so one more time then, what's the website again people can go to to find more information?
3: ThrombosisCanada.ca.
0: All right. Incredible. Thank you so much for joining me today, Dr. Siegel.
3: Thank you so much for for having me, it was great.
0: Family Dental Guelph is where the future of dentistry unfolds. Dr. Mandeep Johal offers an unparalleled blend of expertise combined with a vision that seamlessly ties dental health to your overall vitality. Dr. Johal doesn't just look at your teeth, she understands the bigger narrative of well being. Delve into a world where every aspect of your health is cherished and your smile and vitality coexist in beautiful harmony. Find out more more about the future of dental care today at familydentalguelph.com. One of my favourite things about being the host of this show is meeting people who choose paths that challenge the norm, push boundaries and redefine purpose. Today, we're joined by Phyllis Taylor, author of The Prison Lady, True Stories and Life Lessons from Both Sides of the Bars. Leaving behind a prestigious career, Phyllis embarked on a transformative journey inspired by Oprah Winfrey's Toronto Life Class. Venturing into the heart of the prison system, she became a beacon of hope, education and inspiration for countless individuals. Mates, known affectionately as the Prison Lady, Phyllis's story is a testament to the power of compassion, understanding, and the human spirit. So let's delve into her incredible journey now. Welcome to What She Said, Phyllis.
4: Thank you so much, Candace. I can't tell you how much I'm looking forward to this. So I am so excited to talk to you. Could you tell me what was the
0: pivotal moment during that Oprah Winfrey's life class that inspired you to transition from a high profile law firm to volunteering in prisons?
4: Well, let's just back it up just slightly. First of all, I had a high profile uh, career with a, a prestigious international law firm at which I was employed for 30 years. But I didn't make a decision. They terminated me. And that in and of itself, of course, is a story. Following which I found myself, as as you say, at the Oprah Winfrey. I call it the Oprah Fest. It was Oprah's life class when she attended in Toronto. And it had nothing to do with Oprah. It had nothing to do with the speakers at that moment. What it had to do with was the six women who were Skyped in from a penitentiary in Indiana. And they caught my attention. In fact, when Bishop T.D. Jakes was on the stage addressing them about gratitude, I could not take my eyes off them. As I saw them interacting with the speaker, I noticed that it was making a difference. And that was my pivotal moment. That was my inspiration to do something down the same lane.
0: So, working with diverse prison populations from small-time drug dealers to hardened murderers must have presented unique challenges, to say the least. So, can you share a particularly challenging experience and the rewards that come
4: from it? So, at Vanier Correctional Institute in Milton, in Milton, Ontario, I was working in a women's class and I have had a a range of population from 12 angry men or 10 angry men to a hundred, a hundred. At this, in this uh, instance, I was working with 10 or 12 women around a, a workshop table and I was teaching them building a healthy relationship. We were talking about all the kind of stuff it takes to go into a relationship to make it healthy. When one woman screamed out, love hurts. And of course, everyone stopped dead in their tracks. Apparently it was a plan and apparently they were going, they were planning to approach me and they're planning to ask me what to do about Trish, who was going off campus, which means leaving the prison. And she was going back to an abusive husband, a physically abusive husband. And she wasn't going to take no for an answer. And I couldn't get her to see otherwise. Her platform was I've had. Two marriages and two babies, therefore two baby daddies, and I don't want to bring shame on my family. Honestly, Candace, after working with her for two hours and finally getting her to the point where she said, you know what, I'll call my lawyer in the morning. I was exhausted. I left the prison. I slumped into my car and over my steering wheel, and I went, oh my God, girlfriend. In speaking to myself, I said, you're not happy either. I wasn't in an abusive relationship, but I was certainly in one that wasn't fulfilling me and went home that evening to ask my husband for a divorce. And that's kind of how one woman changed my life. That's
0: incredible to me. What? A, wow, what a story.
4: <laughs> I wasn't expecting that story to
0: end that way. That's incredible to me. So your, your book also touches upon life lessons learned through counseling marginalized individuals. Um, have there been any lessons there?
4: You know, if I've learned anything, it's when I teach substance abuse. And so I don't teach them how to abuse substances. What I teach them is how to get clean and how to stay clean, obviously. And I have noticed, and actually it's really interesting because I have never been high and in my life and no one believes me no one wants me to get high that really knows me <laughs> but uh it's hard to believe and it's hard for my children to believe so but when i teach them uh, how to get clean and stay clean it's notable that i'm honest with them i tell them i need their help but what i also have recorded in my mind and use over and over again to influence them is that everyone needs motivation to go along with discipline if we have no reason for change We have no reason to change. And I find that when I can say, guys, how many of you, and this is in a class that's maybe 100, guys, how many of you have children? And many of them, of course, have their hands. How many of you have a, a mother or a dad who you love? And the hands go up and they keep going up until everyone's hand is up, pretty much. And so I have found that when these men or women, whoever I'm speaking with, have motivation to get clean, it really is A long way there. That and the discipline that goes with it is everything.
0: You have a personal history, too, that allows you to resonate with the inmates' experiences. So how did your own background shape your approach and understanding of their lives?
4: I uh, am taking a deep breath when I answer you, Candice. I had a very harsh and humble beginning. I was severely and deeply physically abused by my dad. My mom was not. My brother was not, but I was uh, abused and I would be abused for telling a white lie or maybe even telling a lie as a child. Uh, anything that had to do with integrity, I would be abused as a child and that's how I was taught. There was one time, and it's kind of a cute story, where I was sneaking out the bedroom window and... I was hitchhiking down to Yorkville to go-go dance in the village in old Yorkville in Toronto. I was go-go dancing. I was hired to do this as as a young teen and I got caught crawling back in. Well, my parents were sitting in the dark in the bedroom and the stuff that ensued wasn't pretty, but I will tell you what came after that was worse. I was incarcerated in my own bedroom for in the basement. It was in the basement for one year. I was escorted to school and back. I was escorted to school and back most days. And I was given food in my room, but I was not allowed to come out for a year. And I had no TV, no telephone, no books, no typewriter. It was it was like in being incarcerated in protective custody. You don't want to be there. I didn't want to be there. But I think, I think it may have given me, one never knows where their empathy comes from entirely, but I do believe in my heart that that may be, uh, have given me a better understanding and a deeper understanding of what it's like to be abused and then thrown into a, quote, cell.
0: I, I'm speechless at the moment. I'm speechless. That is... um I mean, I would be I was grounded as a child, too. It would last about three hours and my mom would be like, oh, God, get out. <laughs> so I I appreciate uh, that's, that you shared that story with us, Phyllis, that no wonder you have such empathy for people uh, who are in that situation. How did you become known as the prison lady? And what does this title mean to you?
4: You know, Candice, when I do a job, I do it with my whole heart. You probably know that about me in in five minutes. Already, already I know that about you. Absolutely. (laughs) In five minutes or less. And so when I was working at the law firm, I was, you know, the teacher. that's what I was doing for 20 years of my career. 30, I was a pair. I'm sorry, 10, I was a paralegal. 20, I was teaching lawyers. I was teaching technology. And I, I worked day and night to be the best I could. The same was true of my volunteer work in the prison. I was working in five prisons. I was giving it my all. The first year that I was working in the prison system, I literally stopped living to start writing, and I would I would deliver a lesson on a different life skill every single week. And I would go into prison, I would work with the guys, I would work with the gals, and I would have story after story after story, and I started to identify with my work in the prison system. I still do. I still, it was the most tender part of my life. Uh, men excluded, perhaps, <laughs> and romantic relationships excluded. But working with the marginalized and franchised people was just so special to me. It still is. It always will be. I am still in touch with one of my guys and just had lunch with him on Sunday, and we're still working together on the outside. So I am the prison lady through and through. I love to be known as such. I love to be regarded as such. And I'll continue to make that mark clear. You,
0: you're you're a delight. You're, you're just one of my favorite guests of all time. I'm going to tell you right now, you're already up there in the top 10, <laughs> Phyllis. So with the success of your book and the impact you've made, what's
4: next for you? what's next for me? So, okay. Secrets will be revealed because I do not, I'm not allowed to tell a lie. Remember that's dad's lesson. So along with my public speaking, so I've, you know, I've written the book and there's a movie being made of the book. As we speak, I'm working alongside a producer and I'm told, and I'm excited to share that the script should be finished by the end of the year, but I'm not holding anybody to it. And I continue to do public speaking, uh, which I didn't get to tell you earlier, but my dad insisted I be a competitive public speaker. And so you can see I'm not short of of words and sentiments, Uh, but I will continue to speak. I speak in in all kinds of places, synagogues, churches, community centers, wherever they'll have me, and and radio and TV (laughs) as well. And so I will tell you that I am also thinking of a another book. I, I, I'm I shaking and nervous to say it because of the time commitment. And I kind of like my life, which is a lot of friends and a lot of family. So, but I am thinking of it because I have a book in my head and it is not a memoir and it is not life lessons, but it is a prison story and it's got murder and romance and all that stuff. And unless I get it out of my head, I don't know if I'm going to sleep properly. You, However, you...
0: You will have to come back when that book is complete, Phyllis. But in the meantime, where can people find you and keep up with you?
4: So you can find me at, at synagogues. You can find me in churches. and, and uh, But I think you're speaking about my book. My book is sold on Amazon. It's sold in Indigo. Actually, I'm speaking in Indigo uh, in Yorkdale next month. And I guess anywhere where books are sold, the library included. All right. Excellent. And are you on social media? I'm all over Facebook and that's the only channel that I use because I only have time for one platform and people are welcome to friend me. But if you friend me and I don't know you, please send me a private message and tell me what you're doing. All right. Excellent.
0: Noted. All right, Phyllis, thank you so much for joining me today. And thank you, Candace. It has been one
4: big pleasure.
0: Feeling like your teen has become a stranger overnight? Allie Payne, a renowned expert featured on what she said understands your struggles. With her step-by-step framework, she's helped thousands of parents like you rebuild that precious bond. Don't wait. Discover Allie's secrets to a mutually respectful and connected relationship today at AlliePayne.com. month of change with the leaves turning and the temperatures dropping. But change isn't just seasonal, it's a constant in the business world. And while many of us resist change, my next guest has made a career out of not just navigating it, but mastering it. Recognized as one of the top 50 women in software as a service, Susan Odell has been a beacon in the tech industry for over 25 years. With her new book, Successful Change, she offers a fresh perspective on how to approach complex problems and create sustainable change. Let's dive into the transformative world of change with Susan Odell. Welcome to the show, Susan.
5: Hi, Candace. Great to meet you.
0: Great to be on the show. Thank you for uh, inviting me. So your book comes at a time when businesses are facing unprecedented challenges. So what inspired you to write this book and and why do you believe it's essential for today's leaders?
5: Yeah, well, definitely, I've I've established myself um, as a fixer, and I I didn't give myself that moniker at all. Uh, It's been given to me and I I just heard it from uh, people that I respect a a few years ago. Um, But as a full time executive, I can only help one company at a time. And that's frustrating when I see the, you know, a reoccurring problem or challenge out there. And so I thought about what, what was the best thing that I could do to have a multiplier effect. And a, a book seemed like a, a great way to do that. It's a way for me to get the message out there in ways that companies can improve when it comes to change management. And that that's really the inspiration for it. And, you know, in terms of why I think it's essential, you uh, change is accelerating more than it ever has in the past. And if you look at artificial intelligence as being a bellwether for that, um, the change is just enormous. When you have um, data analytics that consumers can access via chat, chat GPT or other tools, Businesses have to be accelerating even more. So, um, you know, I think leaders that are looking at the wave of change that's coming through automation, through um, artificial intelligence, they really do need to master it and quickly, um, not only to thrive, but in some cases just to survive.
0: And and you mentioned that 70% of change initiatives fail. That's a staggering number to me. So what do you think is the primary reason for this high failure rate?
5: It's a massive number and I think people don't realize how big it is. The primary reason is people. So whether you're talking about leadership uh, or you're talking about middle management or the frontline people that actually have to do the work of change, if they don't buy into the change plan, if they don't believe in it, then the level of motivation and execution and productivity goes down. And so your biggest factor of risk is always people always people when it comes to designing the plan and implementing it and so that's it so there has to be a connection between the solution that a company believes in on paper and the actual people that are going to be leading it and doing the work and not enough attention is paid to uh, that connection between the human factor and the business problems that you're trying to solve so let's talk about this, with then because you have sort
0: of this innovative approach, it's called the eighty twenty CS blueprint. Right. So can you give us a brief overview of of the approach, and then how it balances both business and those human factors you mentioned?
5: Absolutely. So eighty twenty CS, very quickly, I'll just um, define it. The, the company name is not random. So eighty uh, twenty refers to the Pareto principle which is the, the 80-20 rule, that 80% of benefits in any scenario come from 20% of inputs, whether those are positive or negative. And so I'm all about focusing on those 20% of bad things that you want to, to mitigate or the 20% of good things that you want to amplify in order to get to the outcome that you're that you're seeking. Uh, that's number one. Um, and then the C stands for core. You have to have confidence in a plan. You have to be open to change if things don't go the way you expect. Expect them to go. Resiliency is huge. Change is hard, so you've got to be able to bounce back from those bumps, and you've got to be able to work, willing to work hard. Effort, E for effort. So the C stands for that, and the S stands for strength. What is your measure of strength in all of those four areas of core? Uh, and so, you know, six little letters and numbers that mean an awful lot. And so, the 8020 blueprint is a five gate framework. For helping leaders. So the C-suite, I'm focused on leadership because when you can help leadership, then it trickles down to the organization and boards turn things around that aren't aren't functioning uh, correctly. So gate one is all about macro change strategy at the leadership and board level. Do we have buy-in, do we believe in the plan? Gate two is all about setting that measurable outcome, that desired outcome that you have as an organization. And gates one and two are focused, uh, led by uh, executive leadership and the board. Gate three is about execution strategies. So really you're looking at middle management that's taking the macro set strategy and now they actually have to push it down into the functional teams. Uh, Gate four is setting objectives, which everyone knows what objectives are in business. And then gate five is setting your communications and sustainability plan. So if you have a change project and then you don't actually operationalize sustaining the change, if things will just fall back to the way that they were before. So the thing that, that binds uh, the business and the human factors is that at every gate, there is a method for measuring buy-in. So at the leadership table, you might have five executives put their hand up and they say, yes, I agree with that plan. Let's go forward with it. But underneath that, yes, you have even just one executive who truly doesn't buy into it. They actually don't believe it, but they're not willing to say that in the boardroom. So, in a in a more one-on-one coffee situation, maybe it's a, a you know web meeting, whatever it may be. You want to understand what their level, their score, strength is, on that particular plan. And and when you understand uh, where the weaknesses are, which could be completely legitimate, work through that with all of the leadership team before you move to the next gate. So, at every uh, at each stage of the five gates, it's about bringing people together around a plan for that particular gate and measuring buy-in. And if you eliminate the risk at each gate before you move on to the next one, you're not skipping steps and your rate of succeeding and not being in that 70% failure club will go uh, will go up exponentially in your the, the probability that you're going to be in the 30% success club will go up exponentially. So that's the approach that I've taken my whole career. Um, it is about discipline. It's about pragmatism, you know, looking at things very transparently and being, being very honest about your current state and, uh, and then moving forward in a, in a logical way. And, and you can get really crazy things done. So
0: this, you know, This book sounds like right time, right place, certainly tumultuous times ahead with CERB coming due in December and businesses looking how they can do things differently to keep the doors open and the lights on. So um, where can people find you and get this book?
5: So uh, 8020CS.com. is uh, the business address. You can find out uh, everything about me. I've got my bio, but also links to uh, LinkedIn. Uh, the book is available on Amazon now, uh, Kindle, uh, hardcover, paperback, and it has been recorded on Audible. It's not released yet, but that will be coming out in the next couple of weeks. All right, incredible. Thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you. Thank you. Have a good day.
0: In this final interview today, I'm joined by Alexis Normand, a singer-songwriter who, with her new album Mementos, takes us on a journey through the dualities of her Francophone identity on Anglophone soil. Drawing inspiration from the vast horizons of Saskatchewan, Alexis presents a collection of songs that are deeply personal, reflecting significant moments of her life. With a voice that's as velvety as it is candid, Alexis's contemporary folk sound is a testament to her unique place in the music world. Welcome to What She Said, Alexis. Thank you. So Mementos has been described as listening to a photo album of souvenirs. So can you tell us more about the inspiration behind this album and how it reflects the significant moments of your life?
6: Yeah, I think um, throughout my career, um, I, you know, I've been a songwriter for almost a, a decade now. And I've always felt like I had to divide my practice into two parts. Um, like I'm, I'm Francophone, but I grew up in Saskatchewan. So there's a lot of English in my life. And um, I just thought that my solo project had to be in French, and I wasn't allowed to speak to do stuff in English and um, performing even some English songs in Francophone spaces was kind of frowned upon. So I just felt this pressure to kind of divide myself. And then I had this other project in English called Rosie and the Riveters. Um, and, and you know, it, it did really well. We toured all over the world and had features in Billboard magazine and Rolling Stone. And it, and it was really fun. Uh, but the project kind of uh, came to an end during the pandemic. And when I picked up my guitar, the very first songs I wanted to write that came out were in French. So I decided for the first time to not judge what language the music was coming out in and really like and 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 I also wanted to be vulnerable in my songwriting. I wanted the record to reflect how I live my life, which is very fluidly going from one language to the other on, you know, within an hour, within sometimes a whole se- a sentence. <laughs> and so uh, this album is a, is a reflection of that. And while I was kind of digging into these more vulnerable kind of memories or parts of myself, I realized actually there's a lot of tension around um, around being bilingual, around being francophone, around all the English in my life. My mom's an anglophone, you know my mom is anglophone my dad is francophone but very assimilated so that had a certain stigma within the french speaking community in Saskatchewan i was perceived as not being french enough or anyway so i, I kind of like unpacked all of these little little moments and uh, put them on put them on mementos my new album
0: and you mentioned rosie and the riveters um how has that transition been from you for you uh now being a solo artist uh in some ways a kind of is
6: back to where I started. <laughs> in other ways, I definitely noticed not being in a band anymore. Uh, you know, we were, Rose and the River worked really well together. We had like, especially even the, the business and admin sides of things, our skills really dovetailed each other. So we all kind of worked in what we were good at and it made, it made the band and it made the business function. Uh, but certainly now that it's just me, <laughs> I'm feeling like it's way more work and it's, take, everything takes much more time. Um And, you know, the way I kind of describe it is when you're in a band, uh, decisions take longer to make because there's more people to talk about them with. But once the decision made is made, then putting it into action is fast. Whereas um, as a solo artist, it's kind of the opposite. It takes me longer to make decisions or quicker to make decisions, sorry, but much longer to carry carry them out because it's just
0: me um, doing the work. <laughs> so, you know, what do you hope people then walk away with after listening to Mementos? I, you know, I... I knew that
6: this record would speak to folks who are, are Francophone living in English-speaking um, places, but what I've noticed also is anyone experiencing this sort of um, having a foot in two cultures or feeling like they have a foot in two worlds and they can't quite fit into either, um, this record kind of bridges that bridges a gap kind of like, you know, that, that's, that those people experience. Um, It's also a really beautiful, like there's a lot of love in this album, especially to my family and to, into roots. Um, And so I think it's an, a reflect, an opportunity for folks to reflect on, on um, not just where they come from, but who they come from and how those people shape them um, throughout their life. And uh, I think that those are some of the main takeaways that, that, folks will hear on the the album.
0: Well, interestingly enough, we're going to listen to Roots and Wings in its entirety (laughs) next. Uh, So before we do, though, where can people uh, find your album and catch up with you in person because you're touring as well, right? Yeah, my record's available anywhere you stream music. You can check out my
6: website, alexisnorman.com. And I do have some shows coming up um, here in October. I'll be in Toronto at Hughes Room on October 19th. But before then, I'm heading out to uh, British Columbia. I've got some shows in Kelowna
0: um, just a few days before that. All right, excellent. Thank you so much for joining me today. And let's listen to Roots and Wings by Alexis I Normand. As a child,
2: I would jump for many years.
0: That's it for What She Said this week. Stay up to date with my newsletter by signing up at whatshesaidtalk.com and be sure to follow on social at What She Said Talk on Facebook, Instagram, and X for videos of these interviews and more. You can also catch me on TikTok and threads at Candace Said. Finally, be sure to subscribe to What She Said with Candace Sampson wherever you listen to podcasts to catch past episodes and extended
1: interviews. I'll be back next week with more What She Said. I'm Andrea Askowitz.
0: And I'm Allison Langer. And we are the hosts of Writing Class Radio, a podcast. But we are so much more. We have writing classes. So if you are looking for live online classes where you can join a community, write to a prompt, get feedback, and get better, check out all our classes at writingclassradio.com. And listen to our podcast wherever you get your podcasts and at writingclassradio.com. It is your favorite girl. That's right, it's the Allie Mars, the one and the only. Everyone else just ain't me. I am the host of Welcome to Mars, a lifestyle podcast where nothing is off the table. I have come a long way from sex and dating